This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. I started noticing this, well, more than 10 years ago, and it was usually the big box evangelical church, the megachurch. When Christmas came around, they sometimes didn't hold a service on Christmas morning. After all, Christmas was family time. They didn't want to impinge upon the congregation's family time. Well, what if Christmas falls on a Sunday like this year? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year, as I said. Why is this news? Well, I think you have to start off, you back up a little bit. And first you ask, when is worship news? Or when is it news when people are arguing about worship? And I always used to tell my editors at every newspaper I worked at that if they didn't understand how deeply people care about issues that are embedded in worship. They, they just didn't understand the religion beat at all. And I'll, I'll retell a story that I know I've told on the air before, but to me it illustrates kind of what's behind here, behind all this. And back in the early 80s when I was in Charlotte, I was covering the controversy in the, the churches that are now part of the ELCA. And they basically were trying to decide what to do to modernize their hymnal. And what you had here was kind of like a, um, a Lutheran version of the battles of the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. And one parish after another was under pressure from the denomination to throw out the old beloved prayer book. I'm trying to remember, I, I seem to remember that it was a red book versus a green book was the way everybody talked about it. But I, my, my Lutheran lingo is failing me here. But anyway, I went to the last church in Charlotte that was refusing to change hymnals. And I met with the man who was the head of the committee that was defending the use of the old book and the traditional texts that were in it. And when we got through with the interview, we were kind of you know standing in the back pews of his church. And this was a man who was probably, my memory has it, he probably was in his mid-70s. He might even have been 80. And he had given me all kinds of logical reasons during the interview about why the old book was superior to the new, why it was theologically superior, and the hymns were better. He had a, a whole laundry list of reasons. But as we were staying in the back, he gripped this worn-out old hymnal that he pulled out of the back pew, and tears formed in his eyes, and he said, I married my wife with this book. We baptized our children with this book. I buried my wife with this book. They're not taking it away from me. And what we were hearing there was all of the deep emotions that come with lived religious traditions and what happens when you try to change them. Well, in the case of Christmas, you combine that with 
all of the issues of family life and family tradition and travel and the kids are going to wake up at 5.45 in the morning anyway and want to open their presents. And when do you eat the big festive meal? And if you're in a liturgical church that worships on Christmas Eve, you have the issue of whether you come back again on, you know, for Christmas Day. In Eastern Orthodoxy here in America, where we use the Western calendar for Christmas but not for Easter, we have a vigil service on Christmas Eve, and we end with Christmas carols and everything else. But it isn't Christmas until Christmas morning. And so it would be unthinkable not to have worship on Sunday morning, period. Now, forget Christmas for a minute. The way I heard someone say, well, you know, if your church doesn't need to celebrate the resurrection, then don't meet on Sunday. I mean, because every Sunday in Eastern Orthodoxy is a celebration of the resurrection. It's a small Easter, a small Pascha, as we would put it. So it would be unthinkable. It really isn't an issue of whether people will come. You do it to worship God, and the people who are there are there. Now, you just heard me kind of slipping into emotional language about all this. So this is why I'm not surprised that, once again, we're kind of having a debate. And I'm not surprised that when the researchers at Lifeway Research did a poll on this, they found out that the more people were in churches that were wedded to use of a liturgical calendar and liturgical texts, the more likely they were to be having both a Christmas Eve service and a service on Sunday morning on Christmas Day. And that doesn't surprise me. I know within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, there's quite a bit of liturgical variety between churches that, to my eyes, resemble Protestant megachurches and then other parishes that resemble kind of like Anglo-Catholic or a more high church approach. And I would imagine that within your denomination, you've seen a bit of a breakdown on this based on these worship traditions. So embedded in these issues of, well, we're going to have church on Christmas, you end up asking, why are we having church in the first place? Why are we doing this? And if the goal is to be seeker-friendly, that's one thing. But I mean, actually, I have some ideas about why seeker-friendly probably would require you to have a church on Christmas Eve, a church service on Christmas Eve. But you can hear all the, uh, the human emotions that get caught in this, and I had to try to tell editors, that's news. If we run a story on this issue, it's going to make people happy, mad, or both, and that probably means it was worth writing. So Baptist Press had a write-up on the anticipated either holding or not holding of Christmas services. What did you find? Yeah. Well, I thought that in some ways it was rather predictable how it came out. And it's, it's what I just said. I mean, let's see if I can find the paragraph that uh, 71% of U.S. Protestant pastors plan to hold a Christmas Eve service. 60% plan to have church services on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And so when you, you lean forward and you lead into it, listen to this and see if you think I was accurate in the way I represented it. Denominationally, Lutherans, 95%, Methodist, 91%, and Presbyterian Reformed, 84%, 
are more likely than non-denominational pastors or charismatics to have a full slate of Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. I noticed they didn't do Episcopal churches. I'm sure they found something very similar to the Lutherans, that no matter whether they're liberal or conservative, most Episcopal congregations, Anglican congregations, would have services on Christmas Eve and probably be back for some sort of prayer service, either in the morning or at midday on Sunday. So in a way, we have a, a collision between, like I said, churches that have any connection to centuries of liturgical tradition and churches that are basically modern in their format and in their look, in their sensibilities, in their music, and in their worship. And to some degree, as I've told people many times, you know, Protestants are free to do whatever they want. Just have a vote and then do it. So it sounds as though it's kind of settled into a plateau. How does the Sunday factor change it? Oh, the Sunday factor changes things a lot. I I would imagine almost all of these churches on Christmas morning will have what ends up being a much smaller service. And that's because the families all woke up on Christmas schedule, and their children are clocks that can't be reset. So you need to make decisions about how you're going to handle that. And if you think you're going to delay the presence, that's going to take a really strong act of will in your family. So I would imagine some pastors are sitting there thinking, well, if the children wake up at 6, we can probably expect people to have had a little bit of breakfast and can get to church at 10. Thus, we can, you know, one single 10 a.m. service will probably meet the needs of people who want to come. And to me, I, I don't find anything offensive about that, except, of course, in, in Eastern Orthodoxy, we're going to do our regular services at a regular time. But some would find it interesting that in terms of liturgical importance, Sunday morning takes precedent over Christmas. Sunday morning, the celebration of the resurrection, is more important or as important in the liturgical life of the church as Christmas. And so, yeah, that service is going to be held. And the choir will be there, and we'll have as many people there to do as many things as possible. And uh, it may mean that the meal that comes after the service will be slightly smaller because everybody will be dashing home to cook some sort of really large one or two o'clock in the afternoon Christmas feast. But worship will occur because worship is what the church does. And putting it that way shows why there is kind of divide here between churches with ancient roots or even early Reformation roots and modern churches that have kind of created their own tradition as they go. So when covering this story, who should the reporter be interviewing and what kind of questions should the reporter be asking? Well, I think one of the things you're going to try to do is simply go to some of the largest churches in your town and ask them how they're handling it. In other words, you treat it first and foremost as a local story. Obviously, the guys at Lifeway have now done two different polls. I wrote a column about one of them last week, two different polls about Christmas 
in 2022 and kind of what's going on this year. And one of them was the fact that, once again, the more liturgical and the more ancient or even early Reformation your church's worship patterns are, the more likely you are to have a Christmas Eve service and to be celebrating Christmas as the major event. In a lot of non-denominational churches, Baptist churches, etc., the major Christmas service is occurring as early as the second week of December, or the third week seems to be the key week for many of them. And when you talk to pastors about it, the primary thing there is they're saying, well, we're holding this big festive service before everybody leaves, before everybody leaves town, and thus we're timing it to when the children are let out of school. So once again, you have a competing calendar with the church calendar, and that is the calendar of travel and school schedules and everything. So that's another part of this, which is how do our churches make decisions about Christmas in the first place? When I lived in South Florida, I was amazed to discover that the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Miami had moved the La Posadas tradition, the 12 days of Christmas parades in the Latino and Hispanic traditions where you go from house to house looking for the Christ child until the 12th night. And as someone once put me, it's, it's not really Christmas until the burrow eats the hay, which is until the journey is over. Well, they moved La Posadas to the 12 days before Christmas because they figured there was nobody in America with any energy left to actually celebrate Christmas during Christmas. So they moved the actual liturgical tradition of the church, kind of a not formal liturgical, but more of a cultural tradition related to parachurch worship, I guess you would call it. They moved it simply because they didn't think Americans could handle celebrating Christmas during the 12 days of Christmas, which come after December 25th. There are just so many issues here, and it's fun and kind of tense to explore them. Frankly, in our family, we found it easy to schedule Christmas parties during the 12 days of Christmas because once everybody gets back from travel, everybody's schedule is wide open. There's the secular festival of New Year's Day, which is still obviously a part of in the Christmas calendar, but the culture has kind of the mall has moved on from Christmas, which began back before Halloween. They've moved on to the NFL playoffs, you know, and whatever the next big thing is that the culture is going to celebrate. So who needs Christmas? You know, the, do you remember the old phrase, let Christmas be Christmas, which was kind of like put the Christ back in Christmas? Well, putting the Christ back in Christmas one part of that is what will your church do with the actual traditions of Christmas? I find that all intriguing, and I have found every time I wrote a story about it when I was a reporter, this was one of the stories I wrote every year that got the most feedback. Are you surprised that we haven't seen many stories on the cancellation of Christmas Day or New Year's Day worship services? Yeah, frankly, I am. I mean, we're... we. <laughs> We live in a culture where you can write a pretty decent story right now about whether people believe the movie Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You can have all kinds of issues about Sunday. I remember years ago in Denver, the Denver Broncos, a sacred group of people in 
Colorado culture. The Denver Broncos were in a playoff game that was started in Cleveland, and thus it was on Eastern time. And so it had like a noon kickoff. Well, that's 10 a.m. in Mountain Time in Denver. And I wrote a story which got all kinds of feedback about should churches cancel Sunday morning worship so that people could watch the NFL playoff game. And it got into almost theological level debates about whether the Sabbath is for man or is the Sabbath for, you know, I mean, all of those biblical images came out when the reality was people wanted to watch the playoff game. And there were churches that moved their service up an hour and then put big screen TVs in the parish hall and celebrated the NFL playoff like at 10 a.m. after church like it was like a sports bar. And I thought that was an interesting response and perfectly defendable in some ways, unless you're in a church where when you worship and how you worship is a part of traditions that are frankly, gosh, even bigger than the National Football League. Have you read many stories in your career about how Christmas is in fact a season and not a day? Well, I mean, I've read things about people trying to observe the 12 days of Christmas and trying to put that in because the Christmas season is December 25th and it continues for 12 days. In the American context, then you get into the educational calendar, the shopping calendar, the civic calendar, the good grief. How many cable channels are there now that do the 12 days of Christmas movies? And they do them, of course, the 12 days before Christmas. And then I noticed a couple of years ago, I think it was TBS, one of the channels, that was too close to December 25th. Christmas was almost over by then. So they moved the 12 days of Christmas movie back up to like the second and third weeks of December, because that was when most people were thinking about Christmas. So I think the bigger question you're asking is what is Christmas and who defines Christmas? I have told, of course, in Orthodoxy, most of the world's Orthodox Christians celebrate Christmas according to the Julian calendar, and thus it falls on January the 7th. And I've told, frankly, I've told other Orthodox friends of mine who are in those churches that I sometimes envy them because it draws a real line in the sand and makes it very easy to be able to look your children right in the eye and say, this is Christmas. This is the church's Christmas. This is the Christmas of the ages. This is not the Christmas of, I don't know, the Gap or Fredericks of Hollywood or, you know, or whatever other cultural powerhouse you want to bow down to. I, as you can tell just by the tone of my voice, I'm very intrigued by all of these things. And I think we'll probably see some stories. Maybe people are holding their coverage until the last day or two before Christmas, and we may see some additional coverage of this. Meanwhile, there's a very important global story related to this, which is in Ukraine, the new Western European-style Orthodox Church, the newly formed one that was formed by the Ecumenical Patriarch in Istanbul, and quite frankly, Western governments recognizing this new church 
as opposed to the one that has retained centuries of ties of canon law to Moscow. The new church is experimenting this year with Christmas on December 25th, worshiping with the Roman Catholic Church, Protestants, and the Western world. So as if you needed more division in Ukraine, we have competing Christmases now, with the government now recognizing December 25th. And, I mean, you can, you can imagine what would happen if there have been break-ins and police actions against the traditional Russian heritage churches. What happens if churches get locked on January 7th under civic orders of local governments and stuff like that? It's going to be a story worth watching and one that just spells out the whole pain of what's happening in the church in Ukraine. With about a, a minute here, sticking with the historic church calendar, give us your thoughts on a religion news service story. <laughs> with race in mind, Christians reconsider language of dark and light at Advent. Yes, the biblical language of darkness and light and storms and night and dawn and the rising of the sun and all of that comes down now to issues of race and whether or not darkness and light should be interpreted now as symbols of white supremacy. Well, I mean, this to me is another example of the fact that whatever our culture is debating is going to get attached to the major holidays, no matter what you do. And arguing about white supremacy and Advent symbolism is one example of that. And at the same time, I was intrigued. Someone sent me a poster for a winter solstice service. And I believe it's an Episcopal congregation, just judging by the language. I mean, it's, so whatever's going on in the culture is going to get attached to Christmas because Christmas is a big cultural deal. And, you know, you got to stay relevant. Who would want to just do all that ancient stuff over and over the way Christians have done it for 2,000 years? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Oberry Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.